Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Furudashi podcast. As you may know how... Eh, wow, look at me just messing up okay, here. No, right. Okay, take nope, it again. Nope, we are taken again. This is horrible. Blah. Blah. <laughs> Sorry, I just have to get it out. All right. <laughs> now yeah, I can okay. be blah. Okay. All right, go. Welcome back to the Furudashi podcast. As you no doubt may have noticed, all of our branding has changed to Furudashi Game Design Academy. This is hopefully, right, going to be the next biggest great step in creating what we call our e-course and our Furudashi classroom. So if any of you haven't subscribed to our Patreon yet, we wanted to make you aware that we have that new $15 a month tier where are you not only going to get access to our current coursework, but you're going to get access to all of the Furudashi classroom for all Game Design Academy work. So on that notion, please welcome us into this new great era of 2022 and welcome back to another episode today in lieu of all this. I am here with Nicholas. Yeah, I'm here too. <laughs> yeah, he's not just here. Longest intro yeah. by me ever, but I had to <laughs> say it good. because, it like it. yeah, no, today we are going to talk about randomness, right? So I had to mix yes. it up a little. Yeah. <laughs> you had to be a little <laughs> random yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I had to be a little <laughs> random myself, right? This is what it's all about. The chaos, the RNG, you know, praise RNGesus. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot going on in the world today that, you know, we all sit oh, and talk Jesus. about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, no, no, there is. And I, I just want to yeah, talk yeah, yeah. about it briefly because, you know, we stand with Ukraine, but I also want you to know that we stand with all of the other conflicts that are happening around the world that may or may not get the attention that they deserve. Yes. And I just think that, you know, in these like troubling times, sometimes we feel like things, we don't know why things happen or we have to look for a logical reason. And in that kind of vein, right, when you think about your game development work, this is something that now comes to me as like, well, then why does randomness, right, even exist, right? So I know that starts heavy, but like it's because of everything going on today, right? Like that's my yeah. heavy topic. That's my, oh, that's how I am feeling. So moving right into those fields, right? Nicholas yeah. has been doing a ton of research on what is randomness. And I'm really excited to hear kind of like the researcher academic perspective, because I can tell you that as a <laughs> game developer, I mean, I, I've been in the games industry for, I guess, almost seven years now. And so I can, or maybe actually seven, who knows? Anyway, so I can be <laughs> like, well, randomness is like, you know, you need it for this and you need it for that. I mean, like, Dungeons and Dragons, blah, blah, blah. And then I just go on and on and on. So yeah, not not doing that. Nicholas, no. you take us away and you tell us something super random. No, yeah. I'm kidding. You <laughs> <laughs> into it. Bleep blorp. Um, Bleep so, so we, yeah, I mean, we are dealing with a lot of chaos. I mean, I have a lot of chaos in my life right now. Um, plus just general like geopolitical bullshit. But yes. when it comes to games, it's the worst segue ever. Anyway, when it comes to games, 
I have been spending a lot of time thinking about like, what is actually the point of randomness in games? Like it's, it's almost ubiquitous, almost ubiquitous. So one of the things I started thinking about is like, well, what kinds of games don't really have a lot of randomness? And I thought, well, okay, there's like real time strategy games tend not to have very much randomness with the exception of like, you know, damage values tend to be randomized. Um, Like grand strategy games, both do and don't have certain forms of randomness. And so the question is like, what is it that, you know, a dice roll introduces into a game? And I, when I was doing research on this topic, once again, I always keep finding these topics where it's like, why don't people talk about this? <laughs> like, like to me, these things always seem like someone should be talking about this. Like, why hasn't this been theorized? But there is so much in game design that really hasn't been theorized. Like for, you know, for an industry that likes to complain about like, oh, like, you know, don't be so theoretical, Uh, like that decries theory all the time is weird because it is so under theorized. So when I ask myself the question, like, what is what is randomness introducing to games? Well, it introduces something that you have to respond to. And that's the important point. You have to respond to it because you can't. So, you know, it's very easy to get, you know, think about like playing rhythm games. It's really easy to get into a particular groove. You can practice them a lot and you can really just kind of do them almost autonomically. But what randomness does to that is it sort of pulls you out of those sort of like habitual behaviors that you may be engaged in and enforces you to engage with what's going on in a different way. Um, the best analogy that I can think of in this, in fact, this is actually something that I, I talk about in the <laughs> Fudidashi classroom, which you can find on patreon.com forward slash Fudidashi for that and more, um, <laughs> is this way in which sometimes games actually present to you a challenge not in the form of being ridiculously difficult or just like you know requiring like pitch perfect memorization of you know like certain you know tactics and behaviors and so forth like you know you say you see in like dark souls games or whatever but rather the difficulty stems from the fact that like it sort of lulls you into a particular mode but then all of a sudden throws something random at you and so like when you're learning to do something new for the very first time, it can be kind of exciting. It can be anxiety inducing and randomness is the thing that introduces that sort of excitement slash anxiety into a game. And what's interesting is that sort of like that has a both a positive and a negative quality because, you know, it can be exciting because something really cool can suddenly happen. You know, a monster can appear out of nowhere and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to swear. Fuck. (laughs) What do I have to do about that? Or like, but then also at the same time, like random, like actions in a game can be extremely frustrating. Like something random can happen. And you're like, what was I supposed to do about that? Like I couldn't plan for it. Like, and, and it can be irritating. It can make you rage quit. But the thing is like both of those feelings, both of those sensations stem from the same basic effect in the game. And I think in order for gameplay experiences to have a certain degree of novelty, then you need randomness. Like that is the purpose of randomness. Randomness is the like the easiest way to introduce like moments of novelty into a gameplay experience that might otherwise feel rote. And so I think that's where I'm at, theoretically speaking. 
No, I actually really like the points that you're bringing up theoretically, because while we talk about game design theory or say, don't be so theoretical, when you hear, when you see that and it stems kind of from like the AAA, not honestly any game development, I'm not even going to put it, is that it stems from the desire to have something on screen and to have something that you can see and that you can critique. Yeah. To be honest, any sort of random number generator or RNG that creates like a percentage-based outcome or creates a pass-fail, just yes, no, right? If yeah. under 50, if over 50, or, you know, 49 to zero, right? 50 to 100. Or, hey, um, just roll a dice, right? Or is this an odd or an even number? Like that's binary, right? That's super yeah. binary. Yeah. Um, all of that really comes from the ability to create more types of content and more types of player choice, right? Yeah. And when we as developers are like, hey, don't be so theoretical, what we're saying is really don't be so hypothetical. Don't be so, yeah. um, you know, in your head that you're paper designing, right? And you need to be in the editor in engine designing, right? You need yeah. to actually get it in someone's hands to say, hey, is this a good experience? Because you can paper design all you want. And to that argument, you can paper design even a board game. So when I say paper design, I don't actually mean you design your video game as a as a board and you're moving pieces around. That's even a play test, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it quite literally is. I am writing a document and I'm kind of theoretically thinking that the player will do this, right? Yeah. And I think that when we look at randomness in game design, it is for the novelty, right? And by novelty, we mean how much player choice can we get for the most, like for the least amount of effort. Right. And yeah. random number generation is super least. But what's interesting is most people think of this, right, when it's frustrating in a game where, you know, you have a crit chance and you happen to crit and you're like, man, my critical chance, and whether it's a shooter or like usually an RPG, um, you're like super excited about it. And you're yeah. like, yeah, I did it. But whenever the enemy has it, right, or your opposing force has something and then it's used against you, well, now you're frustrated. You're like, dang it. Like, I just didn't get lucky. Yeah. Right. And that that element of chance actually is incredibly important to game development's history because pinball was originally seen as gambling. Yeah. Because they gambling is a hundred percent chance based. And let's we can scare quote that all we want, okay, in the modern day. <laughs> um, because we know the house always wins, but yeah. it was chance based. And it took actually a very skilled pinball player winning and consistently getting scores match after match after match, literally in the courtroom for like it to be ruled that pinball and thus arcades yeah. were not gambling centers. I mean, that's that's crazy. And so that's why this topic of randomness is super important, because the concept of our universe, right, is our human entity of saying, hey, that's chance. That's lady luck. That's random. Yeah. Right. Um. In a game world, whether it's pinball, right, to, to Pac-Man, yeah. um, to Elden Ring, right? <laughs> oh, that just came out. Wow. So I think, <laughs> that's, a, that's a leap there. Was, uh, I had to leap. It's, I don't know what we put in. I don't know what I put in there. Um, but yeah, like, that's what I'm saying, though, is that we all stemmed from, like, a universal thing of thinking, like, hey, games, right, are yeah. sports when they're made competitive and yeah. you really care about winning. And you only get that way because you have a set of rules, right? A set of systems. And there is an element of chance, right? To games, whether the chance is brought by the players on the soccer field, right? Or the chance is in the simulation itself, right? 
Yeah. And and I think that a lot of that comes down to the practicalities for us. It's the theory of if an AI, right? And I'm going to keep using Pac-Man as an example because it's super easy. Yeah. Does the AI decide to go left or right on a path? That's technically randomness, right? It's yeah. that element of chaos. You know, you bring it randomness and chaos. Do you decide to go left or right, right? When you see the enemy go one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but also right in RPGs, like you roll a hit die. And does the hit die in Dungeons and Dragons, right? Succeed or fail. Yeah. And I think it is it is really about the reactions, right? It's how many reactions do you want out of your player? And also how many choices do you want to have them to make? Yeah. Well, and there's also the element that like, I think we're also talking about different kinds of randomness. Like, I don't want to get, I don't want to once again get into the, like, what is the typology of randomness? But no, I, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't either. But I, I did think it was important to at least do the history, brief history, yeah. which is why I made that huge leap to kind of try and capture some, some instances yeah, I, I could, without I going super deep into literally like the, the era of games yeah. that we're in. Well, no, here's the thing. Yeah. So, like, there, there is a question of like, there are, because with video games, oftentimes, like the random number generation or like how, whatever form randomness happens to take is not actually transparent to you as a player because the game system itself invisibilizes it. And so the difference is that, like, you know, when you're playing, you know, a pen and paper like table or basically any tabletop game, the random number generator is literally in your hand you physically manipulate it and you can see its its action. You can see its function right in front of you. Whereas if you're playing, you know, like a Souls game or if you're playing like literally any game in existence where like you're, well, actually Disco Elysium I, is, is an exception to this, but the point is, is that you, you don't see it happening. And I think a lot of the frustration, and so because of that, because you don't see it happening, is that you might actually be seeing something that is actually scripted, that is not, in fact, random at all, but you experience it as randomness because its effect on you is similar to the effect that actual, like, procedurally generated things have. Right. And actually, I want to, before we go into the procedurally generated things, because that's a really big point of randomness, I actually yeah. wanted to pick apart kind of the three things you brought up there. Um, the first Do is it. that... Yeah, doing it. The first <laughs> is that you brought up like Souls games have randomness. And honestly, I don't. So for me, they do have randomness in AI behavior patterns that you learn over time, at yeah. least in Bloodborne. That's the one. Honestly, that's the one I've played the most recently. Yeah. I have not yet picked up Elden Ring. Um, but I don't think that they have what game developers would call true randomness. Yes, yes. Which exactly, is, yeah. A not yeah, which is RNG. Yeah. Um, so Souls games have the randomness because, or have a chaotic factor, right? Because once you learn the behavior, or a chaotic feeling, I think. I a think chaotic feeling, yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's the chaos factor. No, <laughs> that's great. I love it. TM. Uh, my chaos factor is high. Um, I would say that Elden Ring, right, and playing the Souls like games is that while you can learn the enemy behaviors, what makes it incredibly frustrating is that they the reaction time that you're given, right, and the choices are usually relatively very, very low, Yeah. right? And because you have to build that knowledge of over time, right, you die a lot, it takes a lot of practice, and the randomness isn't immediately seen because it is all in the AI behavior. And then, yeah. right, you add that dance, right, the combat dance, yeah, as it is called, is that you, right, you have to step back and react to it. Yeah. So the first thing is that's absolutely hidden, but it's also not true randomness. Yes. Now, second, I would say true randomness, which is shown in Disco Elysium, is still not technically in your power. 
No. But you're right. It, it, it is and it isn't. And I, I want to dig into Disco Elysium really quickly because we did talk about it last time uh, on the Furudashi podcast for all of you here. <laughs> and I will talk- I will link I will link it in the description. Yep. So link that into the description. And we really didn't get into how the systems of Disco Elysium truly highlight like choice driven narrative. And yeah. I really want to just dig in really quickly because what Nicholas is bringing up is that Disco Elysium doesn't let you roll the die, no. but it lets you control how well, much your die is like worth. It, right? it, 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 well, that you, it controls the weighting, but it also, yep. and I think this is an important aspect. It allows you to see it. It allows you yeah, to and see it allows you to see it. But yeah. what I, I want to pick apart all three of those things. is like, you might not control the die being rolled, which is I think a 2d6 or 2d10. It's, or 2D, it's 2d6. It's 2d6. Yeah. Um, ah, yeah, that dungeon dungeon world system. Uh, <laughs> so it's two d six. Yeah, but it allows you basically to change your modifier. Yes, through your gear, which are clothing items. Okay, yep. so you put on different clothes, but it also allows you right more control over changing your modifier by learning more about the person. So the more you explore yep. and engage, you actually can increase your modifier. Yep. Exploring the world will allow you to increase your modifier to yeah. any to a, a specific thing once you learn some more information. Yeah. Um obviously, right, they also have a skills page so you can increase your skills, right? Yep. And put perks into those skills to give you more choice and weighting your modifiers. You also have something else called a thought cabinet, which is kind of more like perks. And these perks also will then give you additional bonuses yep. or passives. That yep. allow you to also improve your modifier. So I'm digging into all of these systems because you can kind of see how even though it is just one 2d6 dice roll, yeah, you are given so many choices in the systems to improve your score yeah. that it is very easy to what some people would say is like cheese the system. Because you're not cheesing it, you're just using it correctly. Because for every choice you make in favor of something like Inland Empire, you're sacrificing on your endurance. Yes. Right. For everything you want to visually calculate, you might sacrifice on conceptualization or yeah. on motorics, right? On hand-eye coordination. It's be- yeah. a better. That's a different skill entirely, right? Yeah. And I think that that's. Oh man, sorry. Not only can you do all of these <laughs> things, I forgot you can yeah. do drugs. Yes. Like uh, alcohol. Yeah, and smoking right. and and other things that very, we do not nice. yeah very very no, nice uh, and yeah, other don't, things don't do drugs don't, kids don't do drugs do drugs not do great. drugs we do drugs not drugs no great. stop don't, it don't do drugs oh my kids. god you're an actual educator <laughs> <laughs> you are a professor okay. i i teach adults and what adults do in the <laughs> privacy of their own home i am no one to judge all right, one we'll, we'll have a well join us next time on Furudashi After Dark Adults. No, oh, wait, I, I, um, I, it appears the the police are breaking down my door. I don't know. I don't know what that, that oh happens. no! Okay, um, but but no, you can actually use items. Is what I should yeah. have said. Mechanically, yeah. use items to improve those scores as well. I yeah. have. If you haven't been keeping track, that is five different systems. Uh, not to mention, you know, I'm probably forgetting one now. Right, that allow you to engage with the weight right? Of improving your chances at something. Yeah. And I think that that is so critical to Disco Elysium that that is why they show you, right? Your weighted choice. Yeah. And they expose the system to you because this engaging in the system, right? Is a choice. Yeah. Right. 
And the mechanic might be rolling dice, right? Or choosing a dialogue option, right? But the mechanic of putting on gear, right, is is the action, right? Equipping an item. Yeah. But it improves the system so, so, so well, right? That ran- without the chaos, right? Without randomness, yeah. you weren't you wouldn't be able to create order. Oh, which just like fits really well into the fact that you're a detective okay, cop I'm gonna, thing. That's, but I mean, you, let's you, keep. You, I'm not. You, I'm you going too part, far. You picked apart my far. point, but I, I think you 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 stepped a little bit. No, nope, I stepped far. too far. I stepped because too far, I, and I I'm coming back. I think there's something you missed there, which is that like games in general are never like even when they incorporate a large degree of randomness, they can never be perfectly random. Like because they have to be coded. They have to be hard coded. So something has to be scripted at some point. Otherwise, it is literally just a random number generator. Well, no, you're right. And this is why this is actually a perfect, perfect segue into procedural generation, right? Because, and I do, but for for anyone who's a game developer out there that's listening or wanting to get into games, I do want to be super, super clear that procedural or systemic, right? So there's procedural generation, right? There is systemic and systemic is kind of what we talk about when we talk about random. This is a part of a system. Yeah, yeah. Nicholas, when you say scripted, I know that you mean potentially programmed, but you yeah, also mean yeah. scripted as in when you play a Last of Us or an Uncharted game, those moments that feel really super tense, right? And yeah, you're no, like having I mean to both yeah, of those that's it. You, but yeah. you mean both of those things, right? Yeah. So yeah. So just so for our listeners out there, when I say scripted, right, I'm talking about like a naughty dog, like this is a there is one right outcome, right? Yeah. And if a game uses a random number generator, scare quotes, but there is actually like you're destined to fail, like that is a trope that you see in games all the time, right? Where you're fighting a boss, but the boss isn't going down. He's not (laughs) taking any health damage. And then suddenly you like have to die. And then, oh, but look, you get a new power, right? Like that is, that's kind of, right? Nicholas is talking about scripted. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, Nicholas, if you could... If when you mean like scripted as in it is codified, right? So, so yeah, well, I the reason why specific I I chose because I, I know I know you use definitions really really clearly. So I I, I picked that word very specifically because it, it sort of elides the difference between two things that people might actually think are distinct, but in reality they're not. So yes, you're right. I mean it both in the sense that it is hard coded, is literally programmed. There are like there is there is things that you type that code has to be compiled. Yep, like, yep. So scripting in the sense okay. of like you know JavaScript and things like that. But it is. <laughs> all- <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but it is. I couldn't all- even. I couldn't. I'm not, even I'm not saying this game is made in Java, but the point is to say like that sense of scripting. So yes, that one yep. and the like classical sense of scripting, which is literally that it is written. It is it is sort of written out. It has been staged. It has been thought through. And so like the programming aspect and the staging. And so you guys don't know this, but I have been doing a lot of thinking about sort of like the relationship between uh, like the theory of like performance theory, performance studies, and how it can like explain certain things in game design. So this has been on, on my mind, the way in which like, the sort of like the coded base like the actual like program the software has a certain like important analogy to the way in which things are like narratively scripted or scripted in terms of like you know a play or a theatrical Mm -hmm. production and those two things actually can be modeled on top of each other so the idea that like so then when randomness is introduced and it's usually introduced because you know again a random number generator is actually a system that you have to build into a game it doesn't just magically appear out of nowhere. 
It's a simple system, but like it's yeah. still, yes, you're, you no, still he's have, absolutely you still right. To, you still have to put it in. Yeah, you have to intentionally put it in. And the thing is, if you think about sort of then the analogy to sort of like the, the, the quote unquote purely creative sphere or like just a stage, things happen on stage that actors have to react to. And in those moments when something happens, like let's say, you know, <laughs> a someone like accidentally drops a glass that they weren't supposed to and it shatters on stage and there's this moment like this tense moment and then you you get to see the actors react to it in real time and how they use it in their performance like the not the, their randomness is doing the same thing that randomness does in a video game mm -hmm. it is introducing an element that you have to respond to and in responding to it it makes the whole experience more exciting. And like we said before, that excitement can take many forms. It can be like really good excitement. It can be really bad excitement. But you still have that, that, that similar sensation. And so the reason why I allied like these two ideas of scripting is because I think those two things really do speak to each other. This idea that like something can be quote unquote staged, but it's unfortunate that oftentimes when we say that something is staged, that we make it sound like it's artificial, but that's not what I'm trying to say at all. What I mean by it's staged is that like there is a setup, there is a premise that the game has given you. And then when it within the context of that premise, this quote unquote random thing is introduced and then you have to react to it in much the same way that a performer reacts to those little moments that are outside of their control. Full stop. Yeah, no, in our next book, we're going to be talking about performance <laughs> theory and how it relates to video games. Um, no, I may seriously. Very well be, yeah, no, actually, I will. So No, I, yeah. I absolutely, we're going to write a book together and we're going to get it published. I don't know by who, but hey, if you're a publisher and you're listening to the Furidashi podcast. Go to Furidashi.com. Go to Patreon.com forward slash Furidashi. Give us a lot of money so we can get this thing finished. <laughs> yes, please. Um, guys, I... Yeah, I have so many things that I'm percolating on from what Nicholas is talking about um, because we have mentioned kind of performance theory here before, but I really do believe that you are an actor, right? That is what we call these in Unreal Engine. Yeah. You put an actor yep. who plays um, a character. And I'm actually, since we're talking about how things are staged or how things are scripted in um, in the game editor world, I wanted to get actually into the hard practical, the practicalities yeah, of it. Yeah, go ahead. Because the actor is the highest level class because you can have many characters that are children of the actor. Yep. And so an actor type literally means something that has like, now I am going to super oversimplify this. So if you're an engineer, yes, this is oversimplified. Okay. Now that we've got that <laughs> out of the way. Um, an actor is basically, right, any anything that can move or has logic. Okay. Yeah. Now an actor can also be a not character. Right. But actor can be a character and a character now has locomotion. It has like it can have AI. Right. It can have it's usually player characters. Right. Yep. Is what we talk about. Yep. Non player characters. Right. Yep. But an actor. Right. Could also be a prop. Now, yeah. what's interesting is that in a game world, a prop could be a book and the book can contain a quest. Right. And that prop is now like, right, you're MacGuffin. You have to take this book to, you know, like the NPC in the Mage Tower. And the Mage Tower is like, you know, filled with these bandits. But once you get there, you realize that it's because, you know, the wizard was captured and you've saved them. Right. But like, I, and that's a whole story. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But I think what's what's great about that is that that literally could have been an Elden Ring. And maybe you didn't 
know where to find the book. Maybe the book is procedurally generated somewhere, right? Yeah. And is spawned systemically at any location. And you just happened to go to the location where it was at in yeah. your first playthrough, yeah. right? And I'm really indexing on this because of systemic spawning, right? And item spawns differently. Uh, yeah. Procedural levels. Maybe the map changes every time you load in, yeah. right? Like Splunky, right? Um, or any like a roguelike or for example, whatever roguelike right? you happen to adore whatever roguelike you happen to be right maybe the yeah. enemy compositions change or maybe interestingly in order to progress the weapon you choose is different right that's hades and and even yeah. though everything indexes and hades is very unlike a roguelike in that it doesn't use procedural it, i mean it kind of uses procedural levels but they're they're pretty similar in structure that you learn it over time really well yeah. that even though each room is a little different the structure of the room is is the same, right? What, yeah, what and that's, spawn, but what spawns in the but room? But what spawns is different. Yeah, yeah. And I, I need that distinction here as we end this this episode on randomness because I do want to talk about the order from the chaos because that is what we talk about in game development is that while we as developers are chaotic AF <laughs> um, and our games, right, are chaotic as AF, Nicholas is bringing up a really great point that we are still staging it, right? We still have, right, these tables or these asset lists, right, that we're pulling from to create this procedural content. We're still programming it. Yep. So what we choose, right, at the highest level, right, the actor, and how we decide to derive from it into our characters, which characters we say have certain components or have certain capabilities, right, that is controlling the chaos that is game development. Yeah. Right. And also Hades, while the rooms are similar, but what spawns changes that similarity, right? That order allows the randomness and the chaos to be exciting instead of anxiety inducing. Well, not only that, right? but it, it also gives it meaning. Like, yes. And it gives it meaning. Sorry. No, keep talking. <laughs> well, okay. Because. No, 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 no. I was yeah. honestly done. I was going to. Oh. That was going to be my end and you just came right in. So you just continue. <laughs> All right. Well, so th the thing is like, okay, when you think of literally any roguelike, when you're in a, you have a, so actually Hades is a good example of this. And Lauren is right. So you have a fairly limited set of maps, so to speak, of environments um, in the form of these various rooms that you, you go through. Um, but you can encounter a fairly wide variety of enemies in these rooms. So the thing is, you have a thing that is relatively fixed, not necessarily fixed, but sort of familiar. Familiar is the right word. But then you have a thing that has a sort of a degree of familiarity in that, like, you may have encountered these enemies before, but you may not have encountered this many of them or like. You know, there are various enemy types in Hades, so you may not have encountered them in this particular combination. There are, if I remember correctly, in Hades, there's like armored versions of each one as well. Or like, you know, this particular run through, you may have a different set of boons, and so you may have to deal with them differently. But the thing is, like, those are all things that are, in fact, it's interesting because the randomness does not proceed from the unknown. All of the elements there are actually knowable, like the types of enemies, like what their weaknesses are, how to deal with them, the environment you're in, like the particular boons you have. You can know all of those things, but the randomness stems from the moment. In other words, what is happening in a particular moment, the combination of things that you have to deal with in that particular moment. And because there is so much variety 
in that game. There, you can't possibly know all of the combinations, and so it's the combination. It's the, it's the, it is literally the actor dropping the glass and you having to react to that, or getting like you know a crappy set of items or a crappy set of boons, and having to react to that and still making something out of it. And the thing is, like. You know, it feels really good when you're playing Hades and you get all of the really like, you know, really good epic boons, but it can also feel really good to get the ones that are kind of eh, and yet still do something with it like that. That is actually an exciting feeling as well. And so I want to close it. Lauren, can I close out the episode? Is that OK? Because I, I have a final. Thought. No. Yeah, you can absolutely okay. close out the episode. I mean, I have one thing to <laughs> add, which is just really quickly that. What Nicholas is describing is not just the reactive gameplay that you find in single player, but also in multiplayer experiences as well, because those are the other actors, right, that you drop your glass, but now the other actor is actually another player, right? And it's also describing something that we in the narrative kind of field of game design call emergent narrative. And so the emergent narrative is not the narrative maybe that an author intended for you, but that while you read the book, you found another subplot or another you know, narrative within that. So with that, please, Nicholas, close us out. Actually, I, I really like that. I want to end there. So I'll just do the, the sort of shtick at the end of the episode. I would like to thank everyone for um, sticking with us through through our randomness in this episode, the, the, very, the various random thoughts that we had. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at... Uh, <clears throat> twitter.com forward slash footy pod um lauren and i are also individually on twitter i am at academicality lauren is at the lauren ash uh we have our patreon patreon.com forward slash footy we have um bonus episodes that you can get on a bi-weekly basis in addition to our footy classroom so we would absolutely love for you to stop by engage us on twitter be mad at us tell us why we're wrong or tell us why we're right we appreciate that too and we hope to hear from you soon <laughs>